turn in your Bibles to the ninth chapter of the book of Hosea as we continue our study through the Word. So we've been looking at the call to repentance back in chapter 6. And, and then after that amazing call to just turn back to the Lord, just return into his arms. There is grace and forgiveness. I think that sometimes we can feel like we've gone too far, that God isn't going to forgive us, that God is angry, or we can stay at a distance trying to work our way back toward God. But our way back to God is one step. It's just turn and step right into his loving arms. He is ready to forgive you, to wash, to restore. And, and so we saw this call to repentance, but then Hosea, once again, he records the, the reluctance, the unwillingness of the nation to return. And so we see that last time we looked at the apostasy of, of Israel and, and then at the end it closed with a warning against Judah as well. And in chapter 9 we are going to see that once again that the Lord's wrath is kindled against the nation because the nation will not return to him, will not worship him and him alone. They continue to enter into idolatry. They continue to worship God and then worship the other gods as, as well. And God keeps on warning them and they will not return to him. And so we see in verse one of this ninth chapter that, that it says, do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other peoples, for you have played the harlot against your God and you have made love for hire on every threshing floor. The threshing floor and the wine press shall not feed them and the new wine shall fail in her. And so we see that this ninth chapter starts off with this, um, this admonition not to uh, rejoice in, in, in expectation of a plentiful harvest. There was always the, the planting season and you would plant and then you, you would just rejoice with expectation over the hope of this amazing crop that was going to come forth. And, and so putting that in seed into the ground. And, and, and here we see that the Lord through Hosea is telling them, don't, don't rejoice. Your, your expectation in this plentiful harvest. And he says, for you've played the harlot against your God. They had become like an adulteress. They were offering worship to Baal and receiving now from Baal the wages of a prostitute. So here we see that Hosea is likening, you know, a, a, a rich, fertile reward because Baal was the god of fertility and so of crops and, and all. And so they, they now would offer these sacrifices hoping for a, a, an amazing crop that Baal was, gonna, was going to bless them with with abundant crops. And God is calling that abundant crop from Baal. That's the wages of a prostitute. You've departed from your husband and now you're seeking to be enriched over here by Baal. And, and so uh, he says that, uh, that the harvest, uh, the plentiful harvests, those are about to come to an end. 
He says, they shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt and shall eat unclean things in Assyria. And so you remember how the Lord had brought the nation of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt. And so he had placed them into the land and blessed them abundantly. But you will remember that there were the curses and the blessings, that, and the covenant blessings and the covenant and curses that, that the nation now had recited. And, and once again, when God brought them into the land, he told them very clearly that if you will obey me and stay faithful to me, I will bless you. I will provide for you. I will defend you. I will take care of you. But if you go after the false gods of the pagans, whom I have driven out of the land that I'm now bringing you into, he says, if you go after those gods, he says, then I'm going to remove you from the land. I'm going to take you out of the land. And so here we see that now he is telling them, Ephraim is the is the northern tribes. He's telling them that, that they are going to lose their freedom now. The freedom that they had of living in the land is going to be taken away. They're going to return back to bondage. So Egypt is a, is a metaphor for bondage. The, the nation is going to go back into bondage and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. Assyria is the nation that's going to take them into bondage. And so when they're slaves and repopulated in Assyria, they're not going to be able to keep a kosher diet any longer. They're going to be in a foreign land in an unclean land, and they're going to be eating unclean food. It's going to be the consequence now of being taken into captivity. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, nor shall their sacrifices be pleasing to him. They shall be like bread of mourners to them. All who eat it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be for their own life, but it shall not come into the house uh, of the Lord. And so the sacrifices, the Levitical sacrifices that, uh, that had been prescribed, those are going to be gone because they're going to be out of the land and they will no longer come to the temple. They will no longer offer those sacrifices to uh, the Lord. And so we see here that, uh, that the sacrifices that they're going to try and offer in, in a foreign land, those aren't going to be acceptable to the Lord. The Lord had given the prescription for the acceptable sacrifice to him, and you can't change that or substitute that. You remember Cain and Abel and how it was that, uh, that God had told them that you were to bring from the flock. And so you remember that Cain says, well, I, I raise produce. And so I think that this amount of produce is equal to one of the flock. So I'm going to bring that to God and God should be happy with that. That's, that, that's the equal value. But you remember that God wasn't looking for equal value. What God was looking for was obedience. And so that was just a form of disobedience. That was coming to God on your terms instead of coming to God on his terms. And we are not allowed to come to God on our terms. We will come to God on his terms. So now part of the consequence is they're going to be taken out of the land. Well, the consequence of that is they're not going to be able to have access to the temple and come and, and offer sacrifices. Well, I'll just offer the sacrifices wherever I am. God knows my heart, and that should be good enough. But you know what? 
It's about obedience. And God is not going to accept that and sacrifice in a, in a foreign land. And so that is part of the, the chastisement. The Levitical system was a blessing that God had given to the nation of Israel. God said, I will manifest my presence and I will allow you access into my presence. And if you want to come and, and you want to fellowship with me, there was, there was fellowship offerings. I love those. Those are peace offerings. That's when you just decide that you want to go have a picnic with God, that's you bring from the flock and then what you would do is you would take and sacrifice and they, they would take the fat and burn that and that burnt fat would then barbecue, would ascend uh, up, and that was the Lord enjoying that part of the sacrifice. They would barbecue it and give it back to you, and you would partake of that meal, and it's like you and God are having a meal together and just enjoying that, that fellowship, that privilege of being to come and to have access to God and communion and, and fellowship. The temple, you remember that that place of access, that place of fellowship, that place of communion, it was also that point of pride in the nation because they thought that, that God would never allow anybody to destroy the temple, that God would never allow anybody to come in and, and take them into captivity. But here, Hosea is telling them that God is the one that is going to bring that judgment. And that beautiful, amazing access of fellowship and communion with God, you're going to lose that now. That was your privilege, but you abused that privilege. And so that privilege is being withdrawn from you. You'll offer sacrifices in foreign lands, but it won't be acceptable. It won't be acceptable to him. And what will you do in the appointed day? And in the day of the feast of the Lord, for indeed, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. In other words, they're going to be in Egypt. They're going to be in bondage. So they're not going to be able to celebrate their feasts and their festivals when they would all come to Jerusalem and, and worship the Lord. And, you know, and every year you had those times when you got to look forward to traveling to Jerusalem and offering those feasts or celebrating at those feasts. And, and you know what? The feasts, those times of celebration, they're going to be swallowed up by bondage now. Sin always swallows up your freedom. Sin always brings you into bondage. Sin always takes away your fellowship and your communion with God. And that is the consequence of, of sin. There is not a single sin that we commit that does not have the consequence of broken fellowship with God, of distancing from him and experience that breaking off of intimacy with him. And so here as a nation now, they have broken their fellowship and their communion with God. And so God is going to allow them to be taken into bondage. For indeed, verse 6, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. Memphis was a, a city that was about... 20 miles uh, south uh, there uh, in, uh, in Egypt, south of Cairo, uh, and uh, it was known as uh, a foreign graveyard. It was famous for having this enormous graveyard, a famous burial place. And so uh, here when it says that, uh, that now uh, that they are going to be swallowed up, uh, then they are going to now become 
like the, uh, those that are the unclean things uh, in Assyria. Uh, it says that for their bread, they shall not offer the wine to the Lord, nor their sacrifices will be pleasing to him. Memphis shall bury them. And so this here is just a, a reference to that. Nettles shall possess their valuables of silver, and thorns shall be in their tents. And, uh, and so here again, we see that their precious possessions back home, what they were valuing, what they were wanting more of, what they were prostituting themselves to ball for, they're going to lose all of that. Everything that, that they gain is going to be lost. Jesus said it another way. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world, all the silver, all the, the gold, all the wine, all everything you could possibly want and lose your soul? What, what does it profit? And see, this is exactly what they were, were doing. They were unfaithful to the Lord and for material possessions and for prosperity and for crops and, and for all of the, the different things that now Baal was going to supply in addition to what the, the Lord was going to supply. So worshiping the Lord wasn't enough. They worshiped the Lord plus what they could get from Baal. And he says that all of that now is going to be destroyed the days of punishment, verse 7, have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane because of the greatness of your iniquity and great enmity. And so here in the land they had gotten to the place, they become so carnal and so spiritually insensitive to their sin. They had become so calloused that, uh, that now the, the, the prophet of God, they were calling him the fool. They weren't listening to the prophets. God was sending prophets, but there were false prophets that were being raised up, and the people were listening to the false prophets and to the true prophets that were calling the people to repentance and telling them that they needed to stop and that judgment would come. They were calling him a fool. You're a fool. We're God's chosen people. The judgment isn't coming. And this other prophet over here has said that this is going to be the best year that we've ever had. And, you know, and so the prophet in the land, when a spiritual, when a nation is turned away from God, the prophet is not going to be valued. The prophet is going to be marginalized and silenced. It says the spiritual man is insane. It's a spiritual man that now is crazy. You remember the way that evil works, where evil makes good to seem like it's evil and evil to seem like it's good. The prophet who's good? No. He's the one now that's the fool. And the spiritual man that's able to discern not only the, the things of the world, but also the spiritual, he now is considered to be the person that's uh, out of touch, that's backwards, that is uh, insane. Because of the greatness of your iniquity, that, that's why. You're so calloused that you can't even see up from down. You're so calloused that you can't even see that you're heading in the wrong direction. I fear that our nation is getting like that. That we're becoming so calloused to sin that, that, that the nation can't even see that it's heading in the wrong direction. They think that, that it's progress when actually it's the exact 
are opposite. And this is the same type uh, of mentality that was happening in their culture today, that the person that loved God, that was set apart for God, that, and that was dedicated to God, this is the person now that's being marginalized uh, here in their culture and, and in their time. It says, the watchman of Ephraim is with my God, but the prophet is a fowler's snare in all his ways, enmity in the house uh, of his God. They are deeply corrupted. Not just corrupted, but what? Deeply corrupted. As in the days of Gibeah. And he will remember their iniquity and he will punish their sins. We see that Hosea now gives a commentary on, on the collective consciousness of the nation. And, and he says, as in the days of, of Gibeah. Gibeah was a black mark on Israel's history. There was a Levite that was passing through. He had a concubine with him. He was going by Jebusite, and, which would eventually become Jerusalem, but at the time it was not Jerusalem yet. And he doesn't want to pass, doesn't want to stay there with his concubine and wants to stay in a city that is an Israelite city. And, uh, and so he comes to the city of Gibeah. And, uh, and there he is taken into a house and, and, and given shelter and hospitality. And, and the men of the city come that night and they demand uh, uh, that the, the resident that is housing the, the Levite with his concubine, that they send the Levite out so that they can sexually abuse him. And the, the, uh, because of the hospitality, it is the, the responsibility of the host to, to protect those that are his guests and, and all. And, uh, and so he pleads with them and, and they won't be turned away. And, and so they end up sending the concubine out and, and they have their way with the concubine until the morning and the concubine ends up dying. And in the morning, then the Levite, when he sees what has happened in his own land, by his own people, he takes the concubine and cuts her into 12 pieces and sends a piece of her to each of the 12 tribes and calls the 12 tribes together to let them know of the, uh, of the moral swamp that the nation has become. That these practices, these immoral, unacceptable, unbelievable practices are taking place here in God's land. And so the, the nations are brought together and, and they decide that they're going to go and they're going to, uh, to take up arms against Gibeah. Now Gibeah was a tribe of Benjamin. And so they asked for the men that had been responsible for this. And if they would send the men out, that they were going to execute those men and that would be the end of it. But rather than repenting and acknowledging the wrong that had been done, Benjamin decides that they're going to defend the guilty and they're going to fight against the other tribes and against the army. And so... The first day, they go out to battle, and <clears throat> Benjamin has its way. Slaughters almost 20,000 of the soldiers. The Benjamites were fierce warriors. And so they 
they weep before the Lord. They go into him. Lord, should we go back out tomorrow against Benjamin or should we leave it alone? And the Lord tells them, go back out again against Benjamin. And they rally, they go back out and they fight against Benjamin and again, Benjamin wipes them out and again, they weep before the Lord over the loss of the men. Lord, should we go again or should we stop? The Lord tells them, go again, and tomorrow I will give Benjamin into your hand. And so they set a snare. They ambush, draw the soldiers out of the city, and then in an ambush, and they take and they, and they destroy now the, the army of the, of the Benjaminites. And, and so it was said of this that... Such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. And so this whole story became one of the black marks of, of the nation's immorality that they had fallen into. And here we see that Hosea now says that they are deeply corrupted. The people of, uh, of this day now have fallen into such sexual confusion and sexual immorality that now it says that, that they are as in the days of Gibeah. And it says, and he will remember their iniquity and he will punish their, their sins. The story of Gibeah is found in Judges chapter 19 and and reading forwards, he says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your father's as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. And so he, he referenced to the beginning of the nation of Israel, how he took such extreme delight in the nation. He, he brought them and planted them into the nation and they were obedient to him and he delighted in, in them and he blessed them and they became prosperous and they became powerful. Prosperous? powerful, and then corrupt. It's a pattern. God would humble them. They would repent. He would bless them again. They would become powerful. They would become wealthy. And then they would become it is a, a pattern that we see throughout the history of the nation of Israel. And it is a warning pattern for our own nation as well. As we were blessed and we have become powerful. But now we are tilting into that corruption and are turning away from God. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. It says, but they went to Baal, Peor, and separated themselves to that shame, and they became an abomination like the thing they loved. Here we see that once again, Hosea is bringing them back to their history, bringing them back to 
to the sin there that was at Baal Pure. It's found in Numbers chapter 25. The Baal Pure was a pagan deity that was worshipped by the Moabites and neighboring the Israelites during their, their wilderness wandering. And, and they were told to, to keep themselves separate, but the Israelites were enticed by the Moabite women and and they participated in these fertility uh, rites, these, uh, these sexual relations with the uh, Moabite women and the joining together in the worship of, uh, of Baal Pure. And they were forsaking now their allegiance to God. And so that act of idolatry and immorality, it provoked God's anger. And that resulted in a, a severe punishment. There was a great plague that was sent upon the Israelites, and many of them died. And this punishment was the, uh, was the response of God to their disobedience. And so here we see that, uh, that once again, the nation had been blessed of God, and God had been nothing but good to them, but, uh, but they strayed. They became an abomination. It says like the thing that they loved. And, and so that thing that they loved was probably some type of a, uh, an object that was a manifestation of the, uh, uh, of the fertility God. And so we see that the event in Moses' day is mentioned here because <clears throat> it sets the pattern for Israel's subsequent history which was characterized by unfaithfulness. In Hosea's day, Israel had defiled herself with Baal. And like the generation at Peor, they too had now engaged in these fertility rites, and so also judgment now was going to come upon them. And as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them to the last man. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. And I thought, what a tragic line. Woe to them when I depart from them. The departure of God, the withdrawal of God. God is the source of every single blessing in our life. Amen? Amen. And, and when God departs, it's like, God, don't go. Don't go. And we see that there is such a battle for our nation right now, for the soul of our nation, where we have all these people that want to push God out of our nation. And we have all of the believers that are saying, God, please don't, don't listen to them. Please stay and bring us to a place of revival and bring us to a place of repentance and let us put you back into that place of honor in our nation. Give us more time, God. Don't depart. Don't depart. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. And just as I saw Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, so Ephraim will bring out his children to the murderer. Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. The woman's breasts will be dry because they're not going to have any children to to nurse is the reference there. And, and all their wickedness is in Gilgal. For there I hated them. 
because of the evil of their deeds. And I will drive them from my house, and I will love them no more, and all their princes are rebellious. So we see the, the leaders are leading them away from God. All of the princes are rebellious. Ephraim is stricken. Their, their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yes, were they to bear children, I would kill the darlings of their womb. And so Ephraim was once a symbol of fruitfulness here. It's going to be compared now to a, a withered plant that's incapable of, of bearing fruit. My God will cast them away because they did not obey him. And they shall be wanderers among the nations. And so because of her disobedience, Israel is going to be rejected by God. And we see that in exile, Israel's people will become wanderers among the nations. And, and so it was when they lost their land that the population wandered throughout the nations. But through it all, God had promised that he would bring them back together again that he would call them back into a nation, that God is not done with the nation of Israel, though he chastises them, and, and though we see the fulfillment uh, of these um, scriptures, we see in chapter 10, verse 1, it says that <clears throat> Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. According to the bounty of his land, they have embellished his sacred pillars. Their heart is divided, and now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. And so the, the Lord planted Israel like a vine in the land of Canaan and blessed her with fruit. And the vine was very fruitful, but with the increase of the wealth and the power, there came the increase in idolatry and and so their heart is divided. They have a divided heart, and that, that is the problem. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Pastor Frank always says that, and I love that, the truth of that. Not the surface, what's at the heart of the problem? A divided heart. Jesus said that no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loved to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that is the great challenge. Our culture today, the God of mammon, the God of material possessions, the God of comfort, the God of pleasure, and this now is the God of mammon. And when you're chasing after that, you're going to be drawn away from God. And if you chase after God, you're not going to be in love with the things of this world. It doesn't mean that you can't have the things of this world. It means that you're not being fulfilled by the things of the world. That the things of the world are, they're a blessing, thank you, Lord that we recognize that our material possessions are a stewardship, a responsibility before God. God has entrusted us with, uh, with these blessings and, and we are going to take care of them on behalf of God and, and enjoy them, but we don't live for them. We see that 
the priority. They had strayed from God in order to increase what they were believing was the quality of their life by worshiping Baal, by chasing after mammon. And but in his presence is the fullness of joy. Straying away from God, listen, in order to increase the quality of your life is a really bad plan. <laughs> That's a really bad plan. That is not going to get you where you want to go. The importance of keeping our priorities, the importance of keeping the Lord first in your life. Even when Jesus was asked of all of the commandments, what's the greatest of all of them, what's the most important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. That's the most important thing. And when you do that, when you keep the first things first, then everything else will fall into line. When you get the first thing out of balance, when, when you get to the point where you say, you know, God, I'm really going to worship you like I want to as soon as dot, dot, dot. You know, right now it's because, you know, the, the kids and the season that I'm in and my work and my schedule and God, you see, but, you know, as soon as then, God, we're really, then I'm really going to get serious about my faith. And see, here's what happens is that's such a, a rationalization and justification, right? There's a conviction in your heart that you're not where you're supposed to be. But rather than responding to it and repenting it, you defer it. And, and you say, I will, Lord, at a more convenient time. And so, in your heart, you rationalize that this, you know, nobody can really chase God given the situation that that you're in right now and that's reasonable and understandable so you rationalize it to yourself why your lukewarm relationship with the lord is lukewarm and then the conviction that you feel you appease that by promising that in the future you're you, that's going to change and oh isn't that going to be good god when we when we have that that time together today is the day if you hear his voice, don't, don't harden your, your heart as in the days of the, of the rebellion. When, when the Lord brings a conviction, respond to it immediately. Just repent. Just say, I'm sorry, Lord, what shall I do? Here we see that, that now their heart is divided. And now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. For now they say we have no king because we did not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what would he do for us? They have spoken words, swearing falsely in making a covenant. This judgment springs up like hemlock in the furrows of the field. We see here that the nation's political structure is going to be shattered. The, the king that they have, he's going to be removed. In the aftermath and the calamity of the people, that they're going to recognize it was their own unfaithfulness that was the, the basis of the judgment. The inhabitants of Samaria fear because of the calf of Beth Avon, for its people mourn for it and its priests shriek for it because its glory has departed from it. The idol also shall be carried to Assyria as a present for King Jerob. Ephraim shall receive shame and Israel 
shall be ashamed of his own counsel. And so this is the, uh, the calf, the calf idol that was located at Bethel is going to be carried away by the Assyrians. When, when they carry the people away, they're taking the calf away uh, with them as well. And, and Israel is going to uh, be ashamed of its own counsel. We see that, uh, that rather than trusting in God, they went and tried to align themselves with Assyria in order for Assyria to protect them. And, and in the end, Assyria just assimilates them and takes them over. As for Samaria, her king is cut off like a twig on the water. And so Israel's king, as well as her calf idol, is going to be removed in the coming judgment, in the coming invasion. This is that the king is going to be like a twig on the water, like a, a twig that's thrown down on the, on the water, and you, you watch it in the river. Have you ever bet on a bridge uh, over a, a river and, and you take and you toss the, the, the stick over the edge upstream and then you run across the bridge and wait to see it come out on the other side. Just, just a twig being helplessly taken down by the current of the, of the river. That's a picture of their king. He's going to be a twig that's going to be tossed off the bridge and you can run to the other side and watch him helplessly be swept away. And so her king is cut off like a twig on the water. And also the high places of Abin, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall grow on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, cover us. And to the hills, fall on us. The thorns and the thistles are going to grow on their altars. It means that those high places where the idolatry was taking place, that they're going to be destroyed as well. And the ruins are going to be overgrown with thorns and, and thistles. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 26. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book of the Bible. I know you all knew that. I was just reminding myself. Leviticus. And just read along with me the heart of God. So he brings them into the land, the land that flows with milk and honey. I'll be your God. You be my people. I will bless you. I will take such good care of you. I will prosper you. You will sit underneath your own fig tree and you will have your own vine and, and everyone will dwell in safety in his own home. And I will bless you. And this was God's promise. As he brings them out of Egypt, he destroys the most fierce army on the face of the planet, the Egyptians. They had their war machines. They had their chariots. And who could stand against the chariots of Egypt and the army of Egypt in that day? They, they were the most powerful nation. And yet when God brought them out, he destroyed the entire army and they didn't lose a single Israelite. 
not a single Israelite. And he brings them to this land, and, and, but he warns them, you shall not make idols for yourself. So I'm going to bless you, but, and you've seen my hand of deliverance, but now here, here's our relational rules. You shall not make idols for yourself, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the, the Lord. And if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season, and the land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in, in your land safely. And I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down. And none will make you afraid, and I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You'll chase your enemies, and they'll fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall by the sword before you, for I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new and I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. You are free and blessed. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. And the same God of the nation of Israel is, is our God. And we are set free and we are blessed. But, now listen, if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever which will consume the eye and cause sor sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. And those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. After this, after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. What's that mean? I'll withhold the rain from you. So now that incredible crop that you used to have, the fertility that I was sending, the rains that, that I was sending, I will, I will dry those up. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring you seven times more plagues according to your sins. 
And I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number. And your highways shall be desolate. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, <laughs> it's like, what's your threshold of punishment <laughs> before I can get your attention, right? He's like, I'm going to start with a little timeout. Then I'm going to increase your timeout. <laughs> then I'm going to add some additional consequences. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to, and, and he lists it all out for them. The consequences in advance so that you're warned. And if by these things, verse 23, you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins and I will bring a sword against you and will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. And you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. And, and when I've cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. And they shall bring back your bread by weight. And you shall eat and not be satisfied. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And you shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And you remember how the enemies can, would come in, and they would lay siege to the city and starve them. I will destroy your high places, the, these are the abominations. This is the idolatry that they, that they had fallen into. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols. And my soul shall abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. And I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aroma. And I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. And then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, and you are in your enemy's land. And then the land, sh the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. And as long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in, in it. And so here in this 26th chapter, you, you, you see the blessings. And, and then you see the consequences and the consequences and the consequences and the consequences and the consequences just laid right out. And now jump forward back to Hosea. They're at the end of those consequences now. Where no matter what he did, they wouldn't let go of their evil. They fell in love with their evil. They were deeply perverted now. They were deeply corrupted. They had lost all sight of moral standard. And they just wanted what they wanted. And no matter what God said anymore, they wouldn't listen anymore. And so God, who was true to his word. Now, th this was written by Moses when they were coming into the land, the warning to them. And the prophets were sent to remind them that, listen, God is who he says that he is. And so when God says that he's going to give you a timeout, guess what? He's going to give you a timeout. So stop. Let go of your sin. And just turn around and walk right into the arms of the Lord. It's not a long walk. 
Just a turn. Just a turn and drop and a return. And you will be restored. And how patient and long-suffering is our God that he warns us and then keeps warning. And if you will not, then I will increase. And if you still will not, then I will increase. And he fights for us. He fights for you. He fights for me. He chases every single one of us. He created each and every one of us, and he loves you beyond words. And when we're headed in the wrong direction, he's the good shepherd that leaves the 99 and comes, and he's not going to let you go without a fight. You're going to have to fight through the Lord to get to your sin. And then the Lord is going to try and force that sin out of your hand, and you're going to have to fight him to hold on to that sin because he loves you that much. And so how tragic when you see in Hosea that the nation had now gotten all the way to the point where the judgments that God had said that he was going to do because of his righteousness and because of his faithfulness and because he will do what he says that he will do, they forced him now to bring those consequences upon themselves. And so, we see the tragedy, the embrace, their sin, like a twig on the water. The high places are going to be destroyed. Verse 9, O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. And there they stood, the battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity, and did not overtake them. When it is my desire, I will chasten them, and people shall be gathered against them when I bind them for their two transgressions. And so they're harnessed, it's, they're harnessed to their double sin here. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain, but I harnessed her fair neck. And, and I will make Ephraim pull a plow. Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break his clod. And so here we see that a heifer, it likes to thresh because threshing is so much easier than plowing. <laughs> threshing is when they'd hook you up and you just get to walk around threshing there with the threshing wheel and it would crush the uh, the. The, the wheat and the chaff, but they would leave the heifer or the, or the ox unmuzzled. So it's an all-you-can-eat buffet while you're working, you know, and this is luxury, you know, versus being out and hooked to a plow in the field and trying to just pound through the hard-baked ground. And Ephraim's trained heifer. She loves to thresh grain, but I harnessed her neck. I will make Ephraim pull a plow, and Judah shall plow. Uh, and so we see that the figurative portrayal of the nation's threshing uh, corresponded to the service the Lord now requires in the covenant relationship. The plowing refers to the, the difficulty of the exile. Life in the will of God versus life outside of the will of God. Each and every one of us gets to choose that. 
Each and every one of us gets the same choices that the nation of Israel. We get to choose it personally every single day. You're choosing either to step into the will of God and into the blessings that God has for your life or you're going to go your own way. And I'm not a bad person. I'm not doing terrible things and, and all. But you're not surrendered to the will of God in your life. So you're choosing to plow when God would have you to thresh. God would have you to be blessed. Why would you plow when you can thresh? Why would you choose that? Why would anyone choose to be outside of the will of God in their life? It's because they're deceived. And they think that outside of the will is going to be more blessed than inside the they thought, we're worshiping God, and then you know what? We'll also, for insurance sake, throw down a little bit of worship over here to Baal in case any of that works, and kind of throw it all against the wall and see what sticks, and, you know, and that's kind of the, you know, the mentality. Instead of trusting the Lord with all your what? With all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. And he'll direct your path. Do you know what path you should be on? Just ask. The Bible says that if you lack wisdom, cry out and he'll give it to you. God delights. His desire is to lead you. He loves it when you say, I don't know what to do. He says, I'm glad you asked. Let me help you. Let me lead you. And see, sheep, they're not supposed to find their own way. It's like, dumb sheep, get an education, then you'll know which way to go. It's like, no. It's not smart sheep. It's sheep need a what? A shepherd. And it's the sheep that realizes that all he needs to do is trust his shepherd that's going to be in the safest of all hands. Have you trusted your life into the hands of the shepherd? Is the shepherd leading your life? Or are you trying to figure it out on your own? You're trying to carve out your own path and then hope God blesses the path that you've picked? Or are you surrendered to the path that God's picked for you? And now stand back and watch the salvation of the Lord. Stand back and watch the blessings of the Lord. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. The will of God is never easy. There is no easy life. Oh, I'm sorry to be bad news. You can leave now if you want. You know, if you're looking for that good, feel-good message and leave on a great... There is no easy life. In this life, you will have what? Tribulation. Okay, so let's just settle that right now. There is no easy path. But there's a blessed path. And that's the path that we want. And that's the path that God's going to lead us on. And then he's going to help us every step of the way that we're on that blessed path. The easy path, if you do find it, don't go on it. Jesus warned against that. He said, broad, easy, that, take the first exit off of that one. That, that one leads to where? Destruction, right? And so, narrow, hard, difficult, but blessed. If you want to be blessed in your life, just surrender to the will of God. What's the will of God? Ask God. <laughs> God will tell you. 
God knows what his will is for your life, and he will help you to discover that. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Amen? What a glorious direction here. You've plowed wickedness, and you've reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies. Our nation is eating the fruit of lies. I'm sorry to say this, but our schools are just teaching lies now. Our public school systems, they're indoctrinating. They're not educating any longer. And so there's so many good teachers in our public schools, but they're being forced to teach a curriculum now that's just lying to our children and to this next generation. It says, you've eaten the fruit of lies and woe to this next generation that grows up behind the current generation that's been fed these lies and is going to grow up. And they're being told there's no such thing as truth. Well, how do you navigate? There is no right or wrong. What? That's a lie. Who's telling you that? You know, and so, you know, and so we're, we, we're living in, in these very times uh, here, similar to what Hosea was talking about. Because you trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your mighty men. And therefore, tumult shall arise. In other words, chaos, division, tensions uh, are going to rise. And we're seeing that in our, in our nation we're seeing the agitation, we're seeing the aggression, we're seeing the hostility, we're seeing the lack of civility in our nation. No one talks, everyone's screaming now. And this is what it says, therefore tumults shall arise among your people and all your fortresses shall be plundered, violence. And as Shalman plundered Beth Arbel in the day of battle, a mother dashed in pieces upon her children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel. Bethel was house of God. Because of your great wickedness, at dawn the king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. But I love, sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy, break up the fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, let's seek. We ask that you would help us to seek you fully, completely, totally, with all of our heart, that we would abandon our own ways and just surrender to your will, yield and trust. And Father, we thank you that you love us, that we can trust you, that you have a good plan for each and every one of us, and all we have to do is ask. So tonight, God, we're asking. We're asking. Would you guide us and direct us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey.